From LibertyCast Studios and the Defenders of Capitalism Project, here's another capital idea from your host, Mike Williams. Mike Williams here, defender and champion of laissez-faire capitalism. All right, welcome back to another episode of Capital Idea. This is Mike Williams with Mitch Whitus in the studio. This is the Defenders of Capitalism Project, and we have another episode. I don't know what we're going to call this one, but uh, Mitch, it's an interesting phenomenon we have going on at the state capitol in Colorado here. They are, they just keep topping themselves as far as the kinds of things they come up with. I, I'm a, I suppose it's, it's out of uh, um, maybe some belief that they're helping people but oh, i think so yeah but tell us about this uh, senate bill 184 background you give us some background on that you know it's it's this idea of trying to help people in terms of their credit and their housing it's kind of related to some of what's going on at the national level as well but give us some background there yeah so i think like any good progressive politicians a lot of people feel that the way to solve the housing crisis in the state of colorado is to put in more government regulation so what has now passed the legislature, still at this time waiting for the governor's signature, and I have not heard one way or the other whether he's planning to sign it or not sign it. I'm assuming that he will, but it's called Senate Bill 184, and it's all about trying to create quote-unquote fair housing rules for renters. So what it does is it says that if a landlord is going to use somebody's rental history or their credit history as criteria in considering if they'd be a good tenant, well, it caps using their history at seven years. So, okay, say, you know, not so bad. Okay, that's okay. The other part of the bill, if a landlord uses financial information like rental history or credit history in deciding if this person would be a good tenant, the landlord cannot consider the person's income except to establish that it exceeds 200% of the portion of the annual cost of rent or consider credit score or, quote, adverse credit events or lack of credit score unless the landlord is required by federal law to consider a credit score. So basically, it's making it a lot more difficult for landlords to be able to determine if they're going to get a good renter or not. But for a lot of wonderful people at the state legislature, they believe that this is going to make it much easier for people to get housing because we're having an affordable housing crisis. Inflation is up. And so here's, we're going to get affordable housing for people because now people cannot use your credit score against you and we're going to be great. So is this one of the more ignorant, economically ignorant proposals you've seen in a while, or is it just plain wrong? I mean, even you said, so seven years, you can't go back past seven years on someone's credit history. I mean, I don't even agree with that. You're saying, okay, well, we can live with that. Maybe that's not so bad, but where do they get off? Where the hell do these people get off deciding oh, what yeah. I can do with my rental property, how, how I decide who I want to rent to, how I do my vetting process in terms of protecting my property? Because that's, I mean, Well, that's what it's about. It's about property. Well, so you, what you're saying is that they're explicitly attacking property rights and, and basically telling landlords, look, you may think this is yours, but it's not. I mean, they're not saying that explicitly. But they are basically telling you, you've got to have permission from us. 
we're the we're the center of knowledge with regard to what's equitable, what's appropriate with regard to solving housing supply and demand. I mean, I don't know if I don't know if they're even in this context calling it a housing crisis. I mean, they they, they have a homelessness crisis. They admit that, and they have more of the same kinds of policies, in my view, that actually cause this. But where do they get off deciding that I can only go back seven years in terms of looking at someone's background? And ha- and where do they come up with two hundred percent? I mean, they're saying that their judgment is better than mine with regard to what are the ratios that I should look at as far as income to rent, right? Well, I think what a lot of progressives would say is that you're a landlord, your interests are opposed to the people. And so we're going to step in and help to level out the playing field a little bit so that you're not using your big evil landlord schemes like credit scores to keep people out of your houses. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, that that's just on the face of it saying it's about property. It's, it's not exactly your property, Mr. Landlord. And however you got it, however you've come across this property just means you're privileged or you're the fat cat who has something that should be shared with every, everybody else. I mean, that's the implicit and sometimes explicit motivation, right? That they're saying, you know, you are the one who has something and we have to make this, this argument about equality and egalitarianism and, like you said, leveling the playing field. So the person who doesn't have the property gets a break, so to speak, even though they may be a crappy risk and they may not be willing to pay their rent. And there's no way for me to actually, or there's fewer ways for me to actually determine whether they're going to be a good risk. Yeah, I think this goes back to something that I did not realize really until I was in grad school. And what I saw was that actually credit scores are a great indication of how you conduct your life. And I know for some people to say, well, duh, that's why credit scores are such, you know, everybody always cares about your credit score. But You know, I think as a younger person, you just hear credit score, credit score, credit score. And I realize, actually, it's a great indication if you are going to pay your bills on time. And, I mean, it even determines to some extent, you know, couples who get together, if one has a great credit score, one has a bad credit score, can even help make some assessments about whether that marriage is going to last or not. I mean, it says a lot about a person. That's true. And that's the thing is uh, people... People aren't allowing for that market. It's a market-based phenomenon. I, I think it's interesting when we talk about scores. You know, there's the the whole issue. I mean, I know we were thinking this would be a fairly quick topic, Mitch, but I think it's worthwhile touching on. When we talk about credit scores, that brings me to the recent headlines about Biden's wanting to actually penalize people who have better scores on a national level in terms of qualifying for mortgages. Basically intervening into the mortgage market now saying, you, Mr. Lender, who is going to lend money to a, a person, if they have a better or worse credit score, we're going we're gonna to punish them based on a better credit score and reward them and not having such a good credit score, which is, again, the same sort of disease that we're witnessing in Colorado. But there is also, and sometimes people get concerned about this, you know, what about the credit, the social credit score that goes on in China? I don't want to go down a rabbit hole here, but that's an entirely different animal, right? That's where you've got the state, the the instrument of force, certainly in the case of the Communist Party in, in China, who's trying to manipulate and meet their own social needs, uh, their so- social and control needs of their society by monitoring people, not only their financial transactions, but their daily movements and what they do so they can 
score them as to how good a citizen they are. You know, that's using the force of government as opposed to a a lender or a landlord or someone who's doing due diligence who wants to trade with people, trade on a voluntary basis, but wants to protect their own property. It's an entirely different thing. And I know I'm kind of making leaps here, but I think it's important to, to make that distinction, as well as to point out the incredible ideological bent we're moving down the path toward of this egalitarianism, socialism, in terms of trying to force equality where it doesn't exist. Whether it's in terms of someone who's achieved a great credit score or someone who's actually achieved a great track record in paying their rent and penalizing them. You know, we could even talk about in the terms of getting away from these ACT scores. I mean, ACT scores or SAT scores used to be a pretty good predictor of academic success. They are perfect. And I, th- I think there's a lot of good schools that are saying, well, we, we need to take a look at standardized testing. And as, is that really a, the best way to evaluate students? But now you've got a whole phenomenon of elite schools or lots of schools just saying, ah, oh, we're going we're gonna to throw the, the, the scores out when they really were a decent tool to be able to predict Will this student succeed in this field? Yeah, I think especially your point about the FHA loans, Mike, uh, the, the Biden rule about if you have a good credit score, you're now going to be effectively subsidizing people with worse credit scores by paying more money on your mortgage every month if you have an FHA loan. That seems really messed up. It is messed up. At root, it's the same kind of thing. It's, it's, it's trying to control people and their individual decisions and actually trying to penalize achievement for achievement's sake. And that's exactly the wrong kind of society we want. And it's exactly the wrong solution to the problems they're identifying. If you want to have more housing, more landlords who are willing to risk their property and rent to, to more people, then you don't intrude in the marketplace like that. I mean, this is a disincentive for anyone to become a landlord. And for those existing landlords, they're going to find a way around it And so you'll end up having more distortions in the marketplace and therefore oftentimes less affordable housing available. So here's where I think we can turn to the media, which is always fair and balanced, right? Mm -hmm. Right. But there's a quote from a local news station. They interviewed somebody about this this new law, SB, excuse me, not in law yet, but this bill I wonder if passed. you have a prediction though if you think uh, Governor Polis will will actually sign off on this. I mean he's it's interesting to watch this guy. I mean he's got a reputation of being sort of at least not so anti-free market. Sort of uh you know they call him sort of the libertarian governor. Yeah, and, I don't know that I believe that. But. No, I don't think anyone really <laughs> believes that. I think I think that's that's a pretty good uh, marketing effort on his part and maybe many Coloradoans bought it in the last election, but I think the cat's out of the bag and and he's got this really, I mean, extreme left legislature in Colorado now who's pushing through all kinds of things like this. And he's got to make a decision as to whether he's going to sign off on this kind of crap. Yeah. I don't know if he's going to sign it or not, but maybe he will. But just the fact, even if he doesn't sign it, the fact that this is what's passing both houses of the legislature, it's crazy. But playing devil's advocate, this this news station interviewing this person who was in support of this proposed bill. This person says, I think it's super helpful because a lot of times you're hearing about people who are only making so much money because wages are not rising with the equivalent to the expense of living these days. So 
I think that's what a lot of defenders of this bill would say, is that you could talk about market distortions. You could talk about how this doesn't incentivize more building in the state. But what about these people who can't afford to keep up with inflation these days. Or another common refrain that I hear is, we have all of these teachers and firefighters and public servants in our community, but oh, the cost of living here is X. So we have teachers who could teach here, but they have to live somewhere else. They can't even afford to live in the community they teach in. And that's not right. We need to do something about that. What would you say to that? Well, what I'd say is that, I mean, those people who are, are just dismissing the market distortions and continually calling for more of them don't realize the bed that they're making. And, and you know, a good example is what we've seen in terms of inflation. People are asking for our government to provide more and more subsidizations, more and more assistance, more and more help, especially during the COVID pandemic. And, and we've created all this money, all this additional printing of money in the economy. And that's fundamentally the cause of more inflation, too few dollars or too many dollars chasing too few goods and services. Now we've got an inflation scenario and those people at the bottom that you're talking about, or even in the, in the middle, those people who have less control over their income, they're the ones who get hit the hardest. People who own property, people who actually who are landlords and who have more wealth, they have more flexibility with regard to what they can do. And what I'm saying is that the, those people are going to decide, like you said, they're, they're going to decide to build less, but they're going to decide to be going around, or maybe they'll no longer rent. I personally have a fair amount of experience in the rental markets, and I'm much less inclined to be a, a landlord today than I was in the past. So if you, if you shut down building or disincentivize building, and you disincentivize renting or becoming a landlord, what happens to housing? Housing supplies shrink, and therefore they get more expensive. That's, a, that's basically a law of supply and demand. It's really a frustrating when people are so ignorant of economics. Now, I don't blame the person on the street who's just saying, you know, look, I'm just trying to get a better deal with regard to my rent. But for them to be asking their legislators, and for their legislators to be so ignorant of economics, to not understand incentives and how they work is just inexcusable. And it's immoral. That's the worst part of it. You're asking someone to use force against someone else. You know, I'm, I'm using that term, that economic term of distortion and incentives. But really what it boils down to is the instrument of force. And that's what the legislature is. Their job is to make laws and laws are to force people to do things, to force behavior. Otherwise, it's left up to free voluntary exchange called a marketplace. But if you're talking about the legislature, you're talking about people making laws and telling you what you can and cannot do. And, and therefore, you're using force against individual people and, and their better judgment. And you're saying, we're going to substitute our judgment as a legislature for all the different kinds of landlords or home builders or transactions or even renters. You know, renters are actually being affected by this as well. Their judgment about what they want to rent something for and what their credit score is. You're hurting someone who's actually exhibiting virtuous behavior in all those walks of life, and you're penalizing them, and you're ending up with the wrong kind of cycle in our economy, and it's, it's destructive. I think what some of these legislators, some of the sponsors of this bill would say is, well, you talk about force, but you know, come to my district, and you will see the homeless people, and you'll look them in the eye, and you'll see that they just need a little bit of help, and we can help them, 
and we can make some laws to help them get housing. I think that's what some legislators would say. That is exactly what they're saying. But they're refusing to see cause and effect. They're refusing to see a uh, reality. I mean, what's interesting is we we had uh, Governor Hickenlooper you know, make it his mission to eliminate homelessness in the city of Denver and implemented num- a number of these same kinds of measures to say, okay, we're going to use the force of our government to provide more housing. And what has happened since then? Has homelessness gone up or down over that time period since Hickenlooper and, and now Polis? Have we seen improvement in the homelessness problem by the continual intrusion into the marketplace by government and by force? No, we've seen an explosion of the problem. And this is oftentimes what we get. People don't realize that there is a cause and effect. And, and if you're unwilling to look at the reality of it, then you're going to keep making the same mistakes. And that's what we're doing right now. So then going back, though, to the legislator's perspective, they would say, and forgive me, I, I think now the proper phrase is you say experiencing homelessness. You don't say homeless. So for somebody experiencing homelessness, you look them in the eye and say, well, you just need to get used to the market incentives then. <laughs> Not get used to, but actually take some ownership yourself. Now, the homelessness issue is more complex in terms of you're talking about mental illness, you're talking about drug use, you're talking about a lot of factors that affect a person's life and life experience to the point where that they have no place to go. But I'm telling you, my belief, and I think there's good data to support this, is that the fundamental problem is you don't have enough housing. You don't have enough affordable housing. And that's what cascades maybe even the further mental problems or drug use that someone has if they don't, if they don't have. It's, it's, you know, the question is what's cause and effect, but we don't have enough builders who can afford to profitably build a set of housing, especially in the city and county of Denver, but all over the country, all over the state, you don't have enough builders out there who are willing to take the risk and say, I can make, I can make this deal work for me. And the legislators are saying, oh, you're just a fat cat builder or landlord or whatever it might be. And we don't really care about your need for your own property to be preserved and grown. So you're saying that when these landlords or builders focus on their own self-interest of finding ways to make money, get return on investment, that that might, in fact, incentivize. I wouldn't say might at all. I would say it's been proven every time that you allow a market to work, you end up improvement, improvement up and down the socioeconomic scale. So you end up with improvement in terms of, if we're talking about housing, you get more housing, but you get better quality housing, even at the lower levels. You get there's incentives for people to say, "I can build a better house." Now I don't have to. I don't have to comply with all the regulations in terms of making sure the water pressure is this level of water pressure, or the toilet seats are this height, or the stair runners are this height or distance. You let a builder make their decision about what they can build, given the materials, given the marketplace, and and what they could rent it for. They got to appeal to someone who out there can say, yeah, I can afford to make those rent payments. But every time you actually do that, you end up with better quality, lower costs across the board. And and we see this time and again. Every time you look at any commodity, any service, any good in our economy, and if you look at the relative intrusion, now I'm again, I'm going back to that distortion, intrusion, incentives, econ talk. But every time you look at that, and if you have those distortions, you end up with much higher prices 
and much lower quality. I mean, education is a good example. You can talk about healthcare being a good example. And on the flip side, if you look at technology, even most homeless people in this country have an incredible machine in their pocket, you know, a cell phone or a smartphone or uh, some kind of device that, that gives them access to the world's knowledge. And that thing is an incredible high quality piece of equipment and the price keeps coming down on that kind of product. Technology has been one of the best areas of our economy for the last 30 years because it has been the least intruded upon. Now, we're looking at, especially at the federal level, lots of people saying, no, we're going to regulate technology more. But any product you look at, any service that you look at, wherever you have more intrusion, you have less quality, higher prices. And that's what we're seeing in the housing situation right now. There's been enormous intrusion into the marketplace, distortion of the the values that people have, both the people who are wanting to rent homes and buy homes, as well as the people who are builders and the lenders who are lending for these homes. Whenever their property is threatened or distorted in terms of what you can or can't do with it, that's going to create more friction and more cost in the whole system. So is there anything that the legislature should actually do to help with this affordable housing crisis, you know, other than repeal maybe what's already been passed. Well, and that's the hard part is because that is truly the best thing they could do is repeal the regulations, repeal the arbitrary regulations on on building affordable housing. Obviously, at the national level, there's a lot more that could be done in terms of monetary policy and, and allowing for a rational, sound money supply. But at the state level, at any state level, if you had a legislature who realized the cause and effect and said, you know, we need to get out of this business. We in the legislature are not experts on providing rental property. We're not experts upon building housing, whether at a high level or at a low level. Let those people who have studied that problem, there are plenty of builders out there who could make lots of incredible innovations with regard to building properties that people at the lower end of the scale as far as income could afford and would want to live in. So should we actually just subsidize home builders then? No, that's the exact opposite. In one sense, it's the exact opposite, but it's the same medicine, right? It's still it's still saying, and this is what happens, right? We go so far as, as to penalize home builders and they go, crap, we don't have any affordable housing, so we need to do something for these home builders. And the Home Builders Association, being the principled people they are, well, of course, yeah. tongue in cheek, right? They say, yeah, I want to I get a check from my legislature too. Let's jump on that bandwagon. And so what you have is this, ongoing pressure group politics, you know, someone, you know, trying to represent supposedly the homelessness and the mentally ill, the homeless people and the mentally ill are going, he's promised me something, so I'll vote for him. And then the the builders and the landlords and the lenders all get jump on the board. And you have this this phenomenon that I call, for most people, doesn't make sense until they make a couple of connections, but it's cannibalism. It's basically saying, we want to clamor to our legislature and say, eat that other guy, take his stuff from him, let me have the brakes, let me have you be my agent of force to take something from someone that they have earned and give it to me who hasn't earned it. And it's a disaster. And again, it's it is a disaster at the practical level. You get this this result where you end up with you know all these people being homeless, or or lots of people even at younger ages who are productive who can't afford houses. And worse than that, it's it's a moral inversion. We continue to get a populace who views virtue, actual productivity, honesty, integrity. Who start to go? That doesn't work. I don't. I don't want to be. You know, I, I'm going to cheat on the edges, and 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 you end up with a, a a society that gets worse and worse, and that's what we're experiencing right now. 
I know we usually end the episode by saying, you know, here's how we could think about the issue. Here's something that we can actually do. Maybe in this case, what you could do is, if you don't live in Colorado, not a great time to be a landlord here in Colorado. (laughs) So there's an action item (laughs) for you. You mean tell those people who are potential landlords, screw it. Stay away. (laughs) Use your capital somewhere else. Well, I would say be rational. I mean, the thing is, if you have a a state legislature who's so bent on intruding in the marketplace, or again, you're kind of implying that that wasn't strong enough language. And I agree with you. I mean, that's, that's econ talk. If you have a state legislature who's fucking trying to do, trying to tell you what to do with your property, then go somewhere else. Try to figure out a way that you can actually exercise more of your own independent judgment with your own property. Well, again, this has been another episode of Capital Idea with Michael Williams and Mitch Whitus. We are the Defenders of Capitalism. This is the Defenders of Capitalism Project. We are committed to educating and advocating for the only moral socioeconomic system known as capitalism. Please keep tuning in. Support us, like us, share us. Give us suggestions on how you think we can improve the show. Thanks and have a wonderful day. 